We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing tonight? It's been a little while. I'm back from uh, my, uh, my whirlwind trip abroad with the Notre Dame women's basketball team to Paris along with Jesse Styers, Sean Styers. It's mailbag night. Back to answer some questions. I haven't been able to talk any Notre Dame football for a while, so I'm ready to go. That changes to go. tonight, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Jesse breaking out the uh, the microphone. It, it's, uh, man, I tell you what, yesterday, the trip home yesterday we got up at 6 a.m paris time which is midnight in the east coast you know new york eastern time zone here in new york and didn't get to bed for like over 20 hours by the time it was all said and done but you know the bus to the airport the flight home the whole thing and i still woke up way earlier than I wanted to this morning. They they told us, don't sleep on the way home, you know, stay awake and, uh, you know, you know, to avoid the jet lag and all that kind of stuff. I still woke up before like five 30 this morning. So it's, uh, I guess, I guess there's just no way to avoid at least some kind of short-term jet lag. Yeah. That's why I was surprised. Uh, you texted me this morning. You're like, we're doing the show. Right. And I was like, yeah, if you're there, I'm there. I thought if anything, I was definitely going to be here and I didn't know if, uh, you would be quite back yet. So I, it sounds yeah. like everyone salty says, yeah. Salty says they lied. They said you weren't back until Thursday. Now I'm glad I put you on the clock. And, uh, this is what happens when you listen to Vince. See, Uh-oh. because I was listening to your show on Monday and he was, he was saying Thursday, and so I texted him because it was at some point during my trip home yesterday I was listening to you guys just to kind of hear your takes on the Clemson game and and the whole thing. I got to watch a little bit of the Clemson game on my phone in my room, and they had, you know, like smart TVs and all that different kind of stuff, and I thought I was going to be able to, because there's an option on the remote, connect your your smart device to your smartphone. Well, for whatever reason, it wouldn't work if you were using it. The hotel Wi-Fi one, it wouldn't stream the game at all. And then two, you had to have the hotel Wi-Fi on to connect your device, but it wasn't working. So long story short, I had to just watch it on my phone. 
what I could. So you guys, everybody else got to watch it on a real screen, and I got to watch it on my phone that night. We had, uh, you know, French TV obviously was the standard. There were four English-speaking channels <laughs> on the TV. Two were BBC, two were some other thing. So I watched a lot of, like, English Big Brother, you know, type stuff. <laughs> got, you know, seeing people get getting voted off. I watched the Truman Show one night all in French, you know, it's like, oh, I can kind of tell what's going on. It's the Truman Show, like uh, Jim Carrey. Um, and then otherwise, Sunday, they did have three NFL games on an Austrian. There were a few German slash Austrian channels that they carried, and they had Austrian slash German announcers doing NFL games. So I got to watch Ravens, Seahawks in German. I got to watch Giants, <laughs> Raiders. Ugh. That's the one that finally put me to sleep. Apparently, they had the Chiefs-Dolphins game on earlier in the day uh, as well, but we were out of the hotel at that point. So <laughs> Ryan Roberts is a did funny guy. What, what did Ryan say? <laughs> Where's Ryan? Where's Ryan? The very bottom. He said, oh, did the, did the Cowboys win this? Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Did they you even did get not. to see any of that game? Did you record? Have you watched any of that game so far? I just could not care less. They lost. I don't care. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually it was actually a really good game, even though they lost. It was. Uh, I'm not doing a Cowboys podcast. There's no reason for me <laughs> to go back and watch that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know it was a close game, but what did I tell you? What did I tell you going in? They don't beat the good teams, so. It was on the road. A lot of good performances. I think if it's yeah. in Dallas, they'll win. I met an IB listener, by the way, at the hotel in Paris uh, on the elevator one day. Uh, I forgot to get her name. It was it was a uh, an Irish women's basketball fan who was there and said that uh, she listened to the show. So if you're listening slash watching, hello. <laughs> it was nice <laughs> to meet you. I forgot to get your name before we walked away. We were kind of we were like on the way down to the lobby, heading out, that kind of thing. So, uh, if you want, you can throw in some women's basketball questions. You can throw in some men's basketball questions, and of course, you can uh, you can throw in some uh, some Notre Dame football questions. Whatever you want to talk about. It's mailbag night. Just uh, you know, we might have to block. We might have to block Ryan here. If he's not careful, the way things are, are turning out right now. Uh, we had a lot of fun in Paris, though. It was a lot of fun with the exception of Monday night, you know, the outcome of the game. But uh, some of that will come up a little bit. DK says, I hear Paris is a romantic <laughs> city. Will Jesse be getting his brother Jacques around August? <laughs> come on now, Derek. This is a PG show, not even PG-13. Right. That's right. Jesse and Jacques. <laughs> and then I think it was Irish Gordian not was just slamming Paris and the overrated nature of the romance and all that kind of stuff. Look, it was it was a uh, it was a good time. I was very good. You know, we we hit the Louvre. We hit the Eiffel Tower. We hit the Arc de Triomphe. You know, Champs. We did one of these. It was like an on off bus tour. If you ever go. You know, like to Paris or I, I hear London does the same kind of thing with some of these bigger cities, those bus tour kind of things. 
they're worth the price. You can get like a 24, 48 or 72 hour pass. And they take you, you know, on a loop of all the sites that you need to see. And then you can get off the bus, go, you know, tootle around at the site. Then the next time the bus comes back, they have multiple buses going. You jump back on the bus and you go to the next thing and, you you know, you just kind of keep hitting the loop. It was it was well worth it. The Arctic Triumph was cool, by the way. It took them. Did you know? Do you know what the Arctic Triumph is? Any idea? Nope. Like, have you seen it? You saw it? Nope. Saw my, saw my picture on social media. You know, I, didn't, I know you're not on it, but your girlfriend is. Napoleon <laughs> Napoleon <laughs> built this thing at the end of the Champs-Élysées as a uh, basically as a memorial to him because Napoleon built memorials for like everything that he did, every battle that he won. Napoleon was out there making sure everyone remembered it. So he built this thing called the Arc de Triomphe, huge arc. They, uh, they finished the tour de France at the Arc de Triomphe. Like if you ever see, you know, that where they're coming down the Champs-Élysées and, you know, they lead up to the Arc. took them 30 years to build that thing. And you can go up in it. You, there's a, there's, like a, a roundabout, you know, that that circles the Arc de Triumph, and you actually go under the street there. You go down some stairs, and then you come back up. You get in line, and then you have to climb the stairs. There's no elevator <laughs> to the top of the Arc, but there is a rest. There are restrooms at the top of the Arc, which is cool as well. But uh, you go up there, and then you can, you know, look around. Uh, a lot of different cool views from the top of the Arc. So. Highly recommend it. Let's get into some some questions. Other than DK's question, I'll throw them up there. Jesse will uh, will throw them our way. Let's start with with Domer girls. Ooh, this is a nice question. Mailbag. Happy midweek mailbag. Welcome back, Sean. Would you like to see what would you like to see as the ideal front seven on defense next year? then who's the nickel rover that subs in depending on your base defense? Man. Okay. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let me start with the nickel rover. As of right now, we're assuming that, you know, we're, we're just going, we, we don't know what's going to happen with the transfer portal because obviously they went to the transfer portal to get Thomas Harper last year, right? So as of right now, I, I'll, I'll put I'll put Jaden Mickey in there because we're talking about front seven, but I'll, I'll put Jaden Jaden Mickey in the nickel and then you'll have Benjamin Morrison and Christian Gray as the two outside cornerbacks. So starting with that, what do you think about that to start off with? Yeah, I think that's a, a logical starting place because I think Morrison's going to be in his spot. Um, and I think Mickey, obviously, in his small sample size this year did well. Um, and he is kind of the, the next guy, I think, to be one of your outside corners. So um, I, it's like, to me, he kind of looks like a Benjamin Morrison 2.0. Um, and I think he's definitely got the talent to do it as well. So I agree with with how you have this started. Yeah. So that's, again, that's assuming no transfers, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> like Antonio Carter, we haven't seen uh, as much of him as I probably thought we would this year. You know, so I don't know if maybe he could be in play there next year. Now, in terms of the front seven, it gets a little bit more difficult. One, because we don't know who all is coming back with eligibility and all that kind of stuff. Let's assume, do we want to assume Riley Mills will probably head to the NFL? Your thoughts on that to start off with? Mm, no, I think I Mills mean, would come back for a season. You think he would come back for, for another yeah, season? Yeah, I think he'd come back for one more. To try to elevate his draft stock? even more because I think I think right now he's probably still a day three guy with a lot of day one to day two potential upside. upside. Um, okay. I can live with that. So let's assume, I mean, so let's assume, okay. So Riley Mills is coming back. So three technique, you've got Mills, you've got Jason Onye. If Mills does leave, I think that you've got, Anye there. And Heinish. And, yeah, and Heinish. Nose guard, Howard Cross. He's gone. He's gone. So you I think you have Gabriel, Gabriel Rubio. Rubio. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know who's going to be the two after that. Exactly. Exactly. What the depth looks like after that. And Rubio, I think, will be ready. You know, And I think you would expect he would pack on even a little bit more muscle, that whole thing. Jordan Botello, I think, will be back. So I would pencil him in. At the Viper. Yes. The other side. I think it's going to be Burnham. Not to, I'm, I'm just going to say it. That's kind of what I think. That's kind of how I'm leaning as well. I think he's we showed know. really good flashes this season. Yeah. Obviously he's not like starter type guy this season, but in the, in the action he's got, 
he hasn't been a liability. I think he's done more good things than he's done bad things. And I think when you have, you know, Baptiste in front of him and um, Usafa Mensa in front of him, both guys who I believe are going to be out of eligibility next year, I think he naturally comes in. I don't know if Mensa has one one year left. I don't think he does, though. I don't think so either, but I think it would be Burnham, and then you'll have some other options, you know, behind him in terms of of younger guys. Now, so where now it really gets, the hard part. Yeah, I mean, where it really gets complicated is with the linebackers because they've all they're all in their fifth year, but they all also have more eligibility left, <laughs> and. I think everyone's head would explode if all three of these guys come back for another year just with – and like Al Golden was saying good stuff a couple of weeks ago about Drake Bowen. and But like he loves J.D. Bertrand as well, and, he, and he's got a veteran there. So I just – the ideal – like I, I think that, that you probably got Drake Bowen – at middle linebacker, maybe Jaden Osbury as the will linebacker and Jalen Sneed playing Rover. Like, I'm just – My I, thing that's is – definitely is I the think one that one everyone of... wants to see. I just – I have no idea how they're going to approach the eligibility of these guys, the extra eligibility that they've got. I think you'll see – I think Maris Leofau – hmm – Here's how I think it goes. I think you have Bertrand will be back. And then I think you'll see Osbury and Bowen. Kind of splitting Rover and Will linebacker duties. But I think, I think it's tough because Drake Bowen's not really a Rover, but he's not really a, a <laughs> Uh, the weak side linebacker either. He's really just a middle linebacker in my opinion, but I think Bertrand will be back. Um, so I think your starters are going to be Bertrand, Osbury, and probably Sneed at the end of the day. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if they decide to tweak this defense, you know, because, you know, part of the question was assuming they keep this defense. And, and obviously we have no idea what's going to happen with Al Golden in terms of, you know, if he's going to move on, whether it's a college head coaching job, defensive coordinator job, all that stuff really is going to start to get hot and heavy here in a couple of weeks. Once the season ends, yeah. there's, you know, you're, there's, there's going to be all kinds of movement around the country in terms of, you know, coaches and, you know, moving on and, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll find out pretty quickly, but for right now, I, I just, I don't know, but I but I am curious because we've seen less and less of the rover the last couple of years just because of how you have to play defense yeah. in college football now. So I think Kaiser ultimately is gone one way or the other because I think like you said, he he in that rover position, he's kind of been phased out because they don't use the true rover a lot. And then when they get in those passing downs, you're just substituting, you know, a, a defensive back in there. And so I just think with where Kaiser's at in his career and knowing kind of the, the, the young you know talent that's pushing behind him, I think he's going to make a decision one way or the other, and I don't think it's going to involve being back at Notre Dame next season. Yeah. Next question from Joe. 
Mailbag. If Golden leaves, who would you like to see as the next defensive coordinator? So here's the problem that I've got with this. And it's the same problem. We've talked about this a couple of different times this year. Marcus Freeman has said Mike Mickens is ready to go. And I've always thought, based on the job that Mike Mickens has done, both as a recruiter, talent evaluator, developer of cornerbacks, that he makes sense. But look at the issues that you have on offense with with an inexperienced a first time coordinator. Yeah, and I, you know, as I've said all along, what works against Mike Mickens is the fact that you would have a third year head coach still cutting his teeth. Look at the issues that you've had with with a with a first time first first time full time offensive coordinator with Jared Parker. I just don't. As 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 the much big as roll I, of the dice, yeah. As much as I think Mike Mickens would be great, you know, a great defensive coordinator. Only only Marcus Freeman, I think, truly knows just how fully ready he is to go, and if he wants to go down that road again with more inexperience, because that is just a lot of inexperience across the board. Well, put it like this: first time defensive coordinator with what you've already got with the other positions. Big picture. Does Marcus Freeman really roll? You know, so like there's already all the talk about Parker, right? So decisions mm-hmm. got to be made about whether or not you're rolling Parker into a season two or you're doing something else to, you know, divvy up those duties, right? So that's already a hot topic. Say Golden leaves and now you roll into, like you were saying, a first time defensive coordinator and Marcus Freeman is going into year three, which is honestly going to be the most crucial year. Because the expectations just get higher and higher after after you add a season of being a head coach at Notre Dame, right? And so are you really going to take the risk with a first-time defensive coordinator and a offensive coordinator that's under fire in year three when it's probably your most prove-it kind of statement year as a head coach? And in and a, and a year where you can really regain – not regain, but grab or solidify the fans' trust in you as a head coach. Yeah, exactly. Here's one thing I will guarantee you. It will not be Alex Grinch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is the only thing I'm willing to go out on a limb on. It will not be Alex Grinch. He will not be Notre Dame's next coordinator. Um, But say it is Mickens, though. Does Freeman, like some people in the chat are saying, kind of hold his hand along the way, kind of show him the blueprint of – what it is to be a defensive coordinator. Cause he's been under, not under, he's been with Marcus Rudin for a long time. So I'd have to believe that he'd adapt or have a similar system to what he's learned through Marcus Freeman over, you know, X amount of years. Right. I mean, you do have a defensive minded head coach, so it would not be out of the question that Marcus Freeman could play, you know, kind of a big hand and Mickens. What was Freeman's, cornerbacks coach twice both at Cincinnati and here at right. Notre Dame so he's he's you know had a pretty big hand in that defense before and so it would you know again it, it would be a pretty natural fit and you would have Marcus Freeman there you know to kind of to kind of help guide things I guess but you would still have on game day you know unless Marcus Freeman is leaning more into calling the shots you would still have an inexperienced coordinator calling the shots on game day. So it's not just the game plan. You still have to think about who's making calls 
on Saturdays as well. All right, here's one from Terry, and we'll just address this one really quickly. Has anyone heard any more on the offensive changes that Notre Dame is making? Yeah. So, look, this is one of those things that came up from – and, you know, basically a Twitter account, an anonymous Twitter account. This guy does not put his name on his Twitter account. Should I just say the name of the account? It's that college, college, something, college, something, football, something. college football watcher. And he's obviously a big Notre Dame fan. And he claims to hear things. From what I understand, he goes on the different message boards and he sees some of the things posted. And then he makes the post without one attributing where he got the information from to begin with acting like he's actually heard something and it is his own information. And so when you do that kind of stuff, this is what happens. Rumors. It all just becomes one big rumor and everyone puts more credence into it than it <laughs> deserves. And from everything that I've heard, I know everything that Brian has heard, there's no reason to believe any of this. If, you, if you're a member of the champions loud lounge the irish breakdown premium board brian has posted some new intel regarding uh you know the offensive staff and there's no reason to believe that and, and I, I don't think there should be any reason to believe and i don't think that there should be any changes but there's no reason to believe any changes are going to be made long and the short of it that's it especially with two games to go in the season and a bowl game i just And then following up on that. Is Parker calling plays versus Wake Forest? Please tell me no. Again, based on everything that we're hearing, I don't think that there's any reason to believe that there are going to be changes made inside the season. I just don't think as much as there's frustration with what's going on, and in the moment, it's it's you your immediate, you know, trigger is let's fire him. It's not a realistic look and it's not a good look for a program to let go of an OC with two games left in their first stint as an offensive coordinator. Right. Yeah. And so I think if anything is going to happen, it's going to be after the season is over and they can, you know, officially sit down and kind of have. It's like, you know, when we when you had um, when you were a kid growing up, you had parent teacher conference meetings at the end of you know the, the semesters or the school years or whatever it is. That's what it's like. You wait until the end and you're going to have those sit downs with players, coaches. Everyone has a, a conversation with the head coach and that's when it will take place. And that's just who Marcus Freeman is as a coach and who Notre Dame is as a program. I believe I don't think neither of them or neither of those entities are going to hang out their offensive coordinator to dry with two games left in the season. Correct. Correct. So Tim B asked this one. Do you think that the offensive struggler struggles are particular to Parker or is there a different issue, like a structural problem? Um, so what I would say to this or, or what this question is posing is, is the blame Jared Parker is the blame Sam Hartman or is the blame from the very top of how the the overall offense is to kind of be run is that how you would interpret that question i do um i mean that's basically my interpretation and i i think that there is plenty plenty unfortunately of blame to go around on this i do think play calling 
is part of it. We've we've broken down. You've broken down the predictability of you know formations, personnel, play calling, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there are open receipts. You know, like you, you can point to to wide receivers. Are the receivers getting separation? Well, in all cases, no. But in some cases, yes. And it's uh, incumbent upon the sixth year quarterback to see the open receiver. He doesn't seem like he's making his reads the way that he needs to be making his reads. And again, it's like, who, who, who is that on? Well, some of it's on the coach, but some of it is also on the sixth year quarterback. Who's been through this stuff before he's got to see it better plain and simple, you know, but then at the same time you go like, okay, is there more to the offensive philosophy of the current offensive coordinator, Jared Parker, would he like to be doing some things that maybe he's not allowed to do because the head coach who's a defensive-minded head coach wants it done a certain way. There does definitely seem to be some of that going on. But at the same time, I look at the second half of the Clemson game, and after Audric Estime had such a big first half, if it's your defensive core or if it's your, your head coach who is a former defensive coordinator who's got his thumbprint all over things and he's tipping the scale and how he wants things run. Why didn't your power <laughs> running back who's been, you know, who's a been considered one of the best running backs in the country and maybe the best running back eligible for the NFL draft next year. Why did he only run the ball three times in a game that was a one possession game for a majority of the second half? On Saturday, if if that's what the head coach wants, and he is allegedly tipping the scales so hard, why did Audric Estime only have the ball in his hands three times in the second half? These are all just it. Just makes to me it just makes things that much more confusing in trying to figure out exactly where we should assess the majority of the blame. What do you think? Yeah, I I think the best way to to refer to this is an offensive cocktail. That is, you know, some parts Jared Parker, some parts Sam Hartman, some parts uh, Joe Rudolph and the offensive line not being as good as it usually is. Um, I think that you get a little bit of, you know, maybe Marcus Freeman in there a little bit. How you want to divvy that up between those four is up to you. Maybe maybe you feel that there's zero for some people. Maybe you feel like it's all some people. I think that it is so let me put it like this sam hartman missed throws 100% upon further review vince and brian did a good job of pointing out areas where sam hartman just simply didn't make the right throws okay that that happens i get that but let's look at the fact again that on a lot of sam hartman's dropbacks i think on like of his dropbacks he was under pressure like 65% of the time that has to go into that as well, right? Like it's it's easy to sit back and watch film and say he needs to make this read or that read, but this is happening in split seconds with a very good defense well, in your face. And that happens to every quarterback in every game as well. Like let's not act like this is like this only happens at Notre Dame. Like only Notre Dame quarterbacks are are not seeing an open receiver and not throwing to him or not throwing at the exact – like it happens all the time. Things are more structurally broken when the, with this offense than just the quarterback not, you know, seeing an open receiver and not throwing to him on time. It is it is much more than that right now. Yeah, and then I would say the the bigger part to me is you have an offensive coordinator um, that gets in very predictable sets 
And I think that handcuffs what you can do as a quarterback because when a right. defense has an inkling or an idea of where you're trying to get to on the field or, you know, what the tendency might be because you're running, you know, 90% of the time in this look, it's either run or pass. I don't think that helps your quarterback. I think that handcuffs right. what he can do. I think that handcuffs pre-snap what he's looking at. And I just think it overall adds to probably a lot that's going through Sam Hartman's mind pre-snap and making, you know, his play obviously not as uh, ideal as it should be. And so again, that is part of everyone's got a contribution to the cocktail. I feel personally that Jared Parker is not calling the right plays in the right situation. And he comes out and very, I'm not kidding you. I can literally probably watch most plays and tell if it's going to be run or pass. And I don't, I don't feel like that is a good thing for an offense that's struggling to move the ball. And then you get into second and third, you know, six, seven, eight type ranges. And again, if you're in a predictable formation, it's very hard to pick up six or seven yards on those predictable downs. And so that's where I'm at. I, I just feel me personally, I lean more to Sam Hartman being handcuffed by, you know, the, the play calling and how predictable it is uh, pre-snap what's going to happen. I think it has more to do that with more to do with that as well. You know, when you look at, at how boxes are stacked against, different formations, different looks, the kind of plays. And again, I know the offense, you know, the offensive line has also had its struggles, but that still doesn't answer why you're only handing Audric Estime the ball three times in the second half after he rushed for nearly a hundred yards in the first half. You know, none of none of that answers that question. Again, in what was a one possession game, and they had Chance after chance after chance. You didn't have to just keep throwing the ball. How Audric Estime only touches the ball three times is just, it's beyond me. And Tim says, where's the self-scouting at Notre Dame on offense? And see, you know, this goes like self-scouting has been, it's been something that's been asked of Marcus Freeman over the last three weeks. Coming out of the first bye week, asked about self-scouting and he said it was not about self-scouting he said it was about what jesse execution execution winning the interval you're supposed to do the jonah hill when when i point at you you're supposed <laughs> to say do you want me to talk here and i'm supposed to say <laughs> yes when i point at you, <laughs> you well talk. now i know <laughs> execution and, and again i think execution is a part of the deal i think the majority of this goes to the predictability of the plays that are being called. And, you know, again, go back a few weeks. Marcus Freeman asked if Sam Hartman has the autonomy to audible at the line of scrimmage. And, he, you know, Marcus Freeman basically said, well, you know, he kind of does. But at the same time, if there's something that we want run, he's got to run it. So you're not really saying that he's got the autonomy to change plays at the line of scrimmage, if that's the case. So I just think that, you know, again, I think that there are pieces of everything that come into play. And we all know, does it pass the eyeball test? It doesn't even come close to passing the eyeball test. You know what a functional looking offense looks like. And this ain't it. That's just the bottom line. And, so, and and if and if the quarterback is playing the way that he plays, then that 
it falls some on him, but it also falls on coaching to figure out how to get the best out of him. And if you're just going to keep That's doing the I mean. same thing again and again and again and expect a different result, you're just sadly mistaken because that's what they've continued to do. And the offense has not looked any better ever since the end of Ohio state and coming out of Ohio state for, for what is that the last five games now it has looked like a broken offense. And that is exactly what it has been. It is a broken offense for a lot of different reasons. The quarterback, the offensive coordinator, the head coach and the quarterback's coach, the offensive line, the wide receivers, everyone's culpable in this. Yeah. There's no one, there's there's no <laughs> one without any blame. I think what the underlying statement is 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 that the the offense is a hot mess. And it's really sad because the defense is a championship level defense. And the offense, everyone knew that the offense would go, that this team would go as far as the offense took them this season. And everyone on the offensive side of the ball hasn't lived up to that expectation. They haven't answered the call for the rest of the, where the rest of the team is at, you know, defensively, special teams, and et cetera. And like you were saying, I mean, Sam Hartman had uh, a PFF grade in 2021 of 91.8. In 2022, he had a PFF grade of 88.4. Right now, in 2003, he has a 72.7 PFF grade. And so you're telling me that he is supposedly going to better talent Offensive line, running back, wide receiver talent at Notre Dame, but for some reason his game has gotten worse with you know a supposed better coaching, a better scheme, all of that. And so how how can you see that big of a drop off in a player that when and, you're supposedly adding better resources around him? And you can't tell me that he had better wide receivers at Wake Forest. You know, if you want to point the finger at wide receivers and the wide receiver coach and say that. They're to blame for all that. You can't tell me that he had better wide receivers at Wake Forest. I'm sorry. They were all two and three star guys for the most part as well. And none of these, none of them are, you know, like, like NFL stars by any means. None of them are high, high round draft picks in the NFL. Um, I wanted to, to word of Josh. Basically, Josh was saying that the offense looked good against Pitt. Did it really? Did it really look good against Pitt? They averaged 4.7 yards per carry against Pittsburgh. That is a that is below average in college football. They still scored a lot of points against Pittsburgh because the defense and special teams contributed. You know, I know they scored a lot of points, and you know, at the end of the day, the stats say that that you know that they racked up all this yardage over 500 yards against Pitt. Did it really look that great against Pittsburgh though? Do you think it did no. Jess? I, I was don't think at so the either. game and I would say no. And you know, it just never felt like the offense manufactured a full drive of points on their own. They were always aided by different aspects, maybe the defense, maybe the special teams and you know, like, yeah. And, and that's the other thing. And jelly had one of those drives towards the end like when you start subtracting out, you know, some of these points and yardage provided by other aspects other than the starting offense, I don't think their performance was that great. Aiden, thank you for the super chat, Aiden. Up to this point, who have you heard or who do you guys think has taken the biggest strides improvements this season? Fall camp to now. I'll just go to, I'll go Xavier Watts. You look at where Xavier Watts was, yeah, that's still, I mean, like <laughs> off the charts right there. 
I put Phazon in there. It, like, even though Phazon had a oh, good you camp. took Phazon from me. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I, mean, I was going to go offensively. Those are my two biggest. I mean, I think you can probably put Christian Gray and Jaden Mickey in there. Both of them were solid around fall camp, but both of them, like what what they showed that they could do in that Pittsburgh game, stepping up with with both Morrison and Hart out the majority of the time, I think really speaks to their development. Again, it's really a a big uh, <laughs> big pat on the back for Mike Mickens as well. Um, I would say I, I really like Rocco Spindler's um, strides and improvements as well, because I think he's been a reliable offensive guard. I think at the beginning of the season, there were still questions. And I feel like now he's that guy where I don't really have questions about his game, um, to be honest with you. Um, so I, and then I was going to go phase on that wide receiver. Um, I was going to go Watts, obviously, uh, at the safety position. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say Cam Hart as well. Because Cam Hart still had a lot of question marks going into the season. And I think he showed improvement and stride of being that consistent guy and staying healthy as well throughout the season. So those are my group of guys. Baptiste is a good one. Tim B says Baptiste. Baptiste John Baptiste. Really, since the Ohio State game, that was kind of a launching off point for him. His game is really really come along since then that's a good one tim go ahead Jess. it really is too because at, at ohio state he was more of like a, a nickel dime pass rusher and at notre dame he's become a true defensive like he plays the run really really well really really well he, he is in a lot of these games him and howard cross have dominated in the run game and i don't think that's a skill set that we thought was in his toolbox at the beginning of the season yes Brian, Brian Wired is just all stop, capitals. Stop yelling at us. Minutes. Stop yelling at us, Brian. <laughs> With his all caps on. <laughs> I mean, you could make a case for probably everyone on defense, to be honest with you. Like at the end, like there's some aspect of their game. Well, I, I everyone would say everyone but Maris, but I, I don't want to get into that conversation. <laughs> Look, man, I, I heard what you guys were saying about Maris on Monday, and I agree. As a as a coverage guy and, fantastic and pressure rushing he does great but in college if you're going to play inside <laughs> linebacker run fits are your first second and third priority <laughs> and that is a guy's biggest issue as you said I, I think maybe both of you guys said he's not even the best linebacker on this team but as of right now he's considered <laughs> one of the 12 best linebackers in the country I don't get it. <laughs> Do you think it was because he was on the preseason watch list? Like, I don't think he's on this semifinal list if he's not on the preseason watch list. Those lists, those lists get paired off really quickly. You know, I just, <laughs> there's got to be some, there's got to be some analytical data that is backing up Maris Leofau at this point, you know? And it's like Maris Leofau is another one of those great guys. Oh, I just think it's pretty, how he plays in coverage as a, Two, yeah, two thirds of his game is pretty good, but but the run fits, man. It's just like there are times when it's like, what are you doing out there? You know, <laughs> I think with the scheme that Al Golden wants to play and having the versatility to be in coverage and then also mix into QB spies, four or five man stunts, Maris Leofow is really, really good at that type of stuff. And you kind of just overlook some of the, the run fits because of it. And like Maris is like a 50 50 on run. And if that's a third of the game, you know, I would say that like 
Mm. Like Maris is good 75% of the time. And the 25% is just really crushing because it's always a big Mm -hmm. run fit that he's not making. Yeah. Excuse me. I concur. I concur. All right. Jess, read us this next question. Sean, if we have this elite defense and especially at the corner position, why are they not helping teach the receivers to get better separation? I guess same could be said for improving pass pro. I don't know how much, as they say, good on good is going on (laughs) in practice right now. And I know that they've talked about there are times when they pair up the ones versus the ones, especially when they're going to go up against one of the better teams. They're going to put the ones versus the ones, you know, to try to kind of push these guys a little bit. Once you get into the season, the majority of the work is going to be ones versus scout team. And that kind of stuff. It's not even ones versus twos quite as much. You're 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 doing scout team work because you're you're trying to go up against what the opponent is doing. Most of what Jeffrey is talking about is taking place like during training camp and and spring, you know, spring practice and that kind of thing, wouldn't you say, Jess? Yeah, I would say that as well. Once you get into in in season. To be honest with you, a lot of one-on-one doesn't necessarily happen. Um, it's it's yeah. mainly one offense versus two defense and one defense versus two um, offense. And, and realistically, you just do that um, because the, the offense is specifically, you know, kind of game planning for the defense that they're going against. Um, and, and so and then obviously the number one defense is game planning for the offense. So those things might not look 100 percent the same. And so you're just kind of. You're finding ways for, you know, per the game plan that week to go against what you're expecting um, to see ultimately. So, yeah, you don't as much as you would think you don't see a lot of one on like one versus ones, maybe in like competition periods. But those don't go very long. Right. Like those aren't like long, like your team periods or anything like that. Yep. All right. Salty's got a question for us. Given the experience of Freeman and Parker at their current position, should Notre Dame consider hiring a recently retired head coach, for example, Bob Stoops, as an analyst? This is actually really funny because I thought of this, not this same question, but a very similar concept of does like Notre Dame need an, uh, an assistant offensive coordinator or an assistant, you know what I mean, like a, a co-offensive coordinator or anything like that? Yeah, I think that it would make sense to do something like this. It would have made sense. To do it. The question is, who's available? You know, like it's one thing to say, well, just bring in, you know, hire Bob Stoops. Well, he was working in TV last year. Yeah, who's just gonna drop everything and come be a analyst in South yeah. Bend, Indiana? Yeah, exactly. If you're a former head coach, I don't think you're rushing to go be you know, some inexperienced <laughs> offensive <laughs> coordinators analyst. It, whether it's at Notre Dame or or wherever it is, because if you're taking that kind of position, odds are you have eyes on wanting to be either a head coach or a coordinator yourself. So I, I think that there are definitely coaches with coordinator experience who you could probably go get. I mean, Chip Long is still working as an analyst, and there, there are others who are working as an analyst, but typically what happens is like – if you're in those analyst positions, 
It's because for, and there's a list of different reasons why, but it's because you, you're you're not getting either interviews or you're not getting the opportunity to be a at least a coordinator yourself. So I think that it's easier said than done to say, go out and hire an experienced guy to be an analyst to sort of back up your inexperienced coordinator. I think it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, if they went out and got someone, the expectation would be Bob Stoops, and that just wouldn't happen. And so and then it would become – I feel like everyone would just have something else to complain about. It wouldn't be, again, living up to kind of the standards of what people would want, that big name. Well, yeah, and the, you know, and then the other thing, because like Jeff, Jeff Z says, we need to hire more experienced analysts. And again, what, I have no – you know, what Notre Dame is paying their analysts – compared to you know what maybe Alabama and Georgia and some of these other places are paying their analysts I think that that probably becomes a factor as well like exactly how much they're going to pony up to pay some of these guys because it's again it's one thing to get an analyst who's who's sort of in a groundling you know starting you know working his way up type position who's doing your typical analyst work and it's another thing to get one with that kind of experience really interesting one here from we are nd for life what do you think the biggest portal need is this off season um you flipped the table you read the question to me <laughs> I, I am go... I, i'm not of the i'm not of the opinion that quarterback is the biggest portal need Myself. No, I think that you need – I'd like to see them probably address wide receiver, even though they do have more young talent coming in. They also remember – and this is something that I think came up a couple of mailbags ago with with um, Caleb Smith, you know, the, the guy from Virginia Tech. They gave it a shot. They went to the portal. They brought in a guy who had a lot of Division One experience at Virginia Tech, and he was not able to keep himself – on the spring depth chart ahead of those young receivers who are out there. So it didn't work out, but to me, wide receiver would make a lot of sense. I think I'd go wide receiver um, an interior defensive lineman and probably another piece in the secondary to be safe. Like another guy like, you know, Thomas Harper or Antonio Carter, or, you know, just another experienced defensive back to play in some nickel dime type situations. I don't think it'd be a starter. I think it'd just be a depth piece in some of those uh, packages. Um, and again, another interior defense alignment. And I agreed with you on wide receiver. Yeah. Want a couple basketball questions in here. Stymie. I'll, I'll, I, I cut you. I jumped you last time. So I'll let you go ahead and. Read the question. I think this one was uh, more of a comment. The basketball talk last night for an hour was like therapy. Not sure I'm ready to revisit this football fiasco again. Yeah, Vince and uh, Tom Noy with some basketball talk yesterday. I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, but uh, men played Monday night. Things worked out well for them. Sign I didn't even mention signing day today for the men. And... They, um, I thought, I thought that there was a basket, uh, like a men's, maybe, is it in here someplace? Yeah, there is. Exactly. Actually, there is right here. 
from Irish Gordian Nut. How are we feeling about the future of Notre Dame men's basketball? I will say future, I feel really great. Like, And I was thinking about this. The fact that they, they fell behind Niagara and then came back to beat Niagara. 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 Um, just think if that was Mike. Think if Mike Bray were still here, and that game played out the way that it played out in the end, you would not be feeling good about Niagara. You'd be going, <laughs> "Ah, same old Notre Dame men's basketball team had to come back to beat Niagara." But you know, Micah Shrewsbury, year one after the way he had to go out, new roster, yeah, and put together a roster. First and- time actually playing together, right in yeah. a legit game, yeah. You know, so I'll say the future I feel really good about. They they signed a top 20 class today. Sir Mohammed, Nazi Mohammed's former NBA, his son, part of this class, 42nd ranked player in the class. Uh, Cole Serta, Garrett Sundra, a nice class after they had a top 30 class last year. They've got a top 20 class this year, ranked number five in the ACC. So I'm feeling really good about the future. I think that this season is probably still, they're going to be some bumps in the road along the way. They're going to probably lose a handful of games that you just go, man, how did they lose that game? But you got, you're going to have to remember, he's got to get through really young. And yeah. And he's still kind of laying his groundwork this year. He, and he has said that up front, you know, minus the, we're going to lose some games that you don't expect (laughs) us to lose. But, I mean, he has said there are going to be some bumps in the road along the way. So, I feel really good about the future. I think that there is a really bright future for Micah Shrewsbury in this men's basketball program. And there's going to be some bright spots this year. But there's probably going to be some low spots some as well. nice, deep valleys. Correct. I would say my future about Notre Dame basket, men's basketball is very – is a, is a, is, uh, is exciting – because I think that there's two things that are that are really exciting to me, and I'll start with the head coach, Micah Strewsbury. The thing that's most exciting is you have a guy who's young and that hunger to be good at Notre Dame. Mike Bray was here for how many seasons again? Remind me, like tw- at least 20-something, right? Like he, he was here. 22 or 23, because let me see. He was hired in the summer of 2020, and he coached through the end of the 22-23 season. So, so yeah, I, yeah. 22, 23 years. What I'm getting at, though, is Mike Bray wasn't ex- as excited in year one as he was in year 22, 23 to be the head coach of Notre Dame. You have a younger guy coming in, a guy who is, you know, has been a, a fan of Notre Dame in the past, right? And so he has that excitement or that commitment or that hunger to be good, and he knows he's he's coming in, you know, at into a program – that is where expectations need to arise as well. So I think he has that determination and hunger to be good. And I think that's a really good quality to have in a head coach. Cause I think, again, he's just going to work a little bit harder than what Mike Bray probably did the last five to six years of his coaching. And that's nothing against Mike Bray. That's just naturally, I think how it goes. And then the, the next exciting part is just how the roster is going to be constructed. It's going to be a completely different vibe and feel from Mike Bray rosters. And I think that's exciting because you're going to see more athletic players. You're going to see more dynamic players. You're going to see a more dynamic offense. Um, and I just, I think it's going to be a more exciting brand of basketball. And so that's what has me feeling really good about the future of Notre Dame men's basketball.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.